Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, I, uh, I normally eschew the autobiographical on this program. Uh, not just because it's boring to me, but it probably would be boring to you too. Uh, but today is an exception. And you'll hear why momentarily. But it starts with the story of my entering high school. Yes, cast your mind back to those um, fog-shrouded days of yore when you might have done the same thing. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did go to high school. Anyway... Uh, our neighborhood high school, when I was growing up in Los Angeles, was called La- L.A. High. Yes, I know, very imaginative. And that school was blessed with an Olympic-size swimming pool. And every Friday night, it was family night, which meant my mom, my dad, and I would go to the pool. I believe it was free to the public. And we'd uh, swim, hang and swim. More swimming than hanging. And uh, it was a delightful treat. It was totally normal. Nothing odd about it. And so when I graduated from what we then called junior high, now called middle school, I was excited to be going to that self-same high school and being able to... uh, enroll in an intermediate swimming class. I already knew the crawl. I would be learning, so I thought, some new strokes, pardon the expression, and equally importantly, I'd be learning to dive. And uh, so I was really excited as I entered the hallowed halls of that high school. The excitement lasted right up until... I got into the locker room, and uh, the teacher, the swimming teacher, I remembered his name for years until this moment. But he informed us that there were uh, just a couple of rules to the class. One, we would start each day's class with a a descent off the 10-meter board. Now, as I say, I was looking forward to um, learning to dive and the idea of, well, no, you're not going to learn. You're just going to somehow go off the 10-meter board, however, was a little daunting to me. I was a couple years younger than everybody else in class for complicated reasons. Um, so it was, um, somewhat intimidating, but more intimidation was to come with the other piece of information on the protocol of the class from the teacher, Mr. What's-His-Name. We would be swimming without the benefit of swimsuits, just to put an underline on it. Naked, nude, in the buff, in the pool. 
and therefore we would be revealed in the buff through the entire class as we stood on the 10-meter board contemplating how the to get down into the water. The obvious way was to jump and um, try to figure out how to land without um, direct impact on a zone which would normally be covered by some degree of fabric. And so um, I did it a couple of, well, no, wait a minute. One other detail. On uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we would go off the board, the high board, in alphabetical order which meant by the time I got up there, most of the uh, class was in the pool and ignoring me, and there wasn't much intimidation involved. But on Tuesdays and Thursdays, just to be fair, we went off the board, the 10-meter board, in reverse alphabetical order, which meant that I was... And by, I, have, and I don't think I've mentioned um, a little bit of uh, fear of heights along the way. So I'm up there on the 10-meter board, not knowing how to dive, not having a stitch of clothing on, and most of the class looking at me, either down the uh, ladder or on the pool deck, as I considered my lack of options. And um, I landed on my uh, toolkit a couple times, and went home and told my mom, get me out of that class, which she did. God bless her. And it all seemed so weird. It all seemed, what's wrong with that guy? And I'm just informed by an old friend that his name was Mr. Bobinette. How do you forget Mr. Bobinette and his uh, obsession with Naked boys going off the 10-meter board just to start things off every day. And as I say, I w just wondered for years how he kept his job, let alone stayed out of jail. And that's when the autobiographical merged with the journalistic normal focus of this program, thanks to a column in Saturday's Washington Post. It starts out, two male University of Maryland alumni have separately recalled to me that at the University of Maryland in the late 1960s and early 1970s, the male physical education classes in swimming were conducted with the students swimming in the nude. Could this possibly be true? Just for context, a uh, female student at that university in the early 70s said, there was certainly no nude swimming in our classes. Swimsuits were provided to the female students. One of the male students from that time in his letter to the columnist said, I remember asking the teacher, why are we doing this naked? I'm not making this up. 
the guy looks at me and says, Lint. I said, excuse me, I thought I heard you say Lint. The teacher's response, yeah, it's Lint. The concern, the instructor explained, was that swimsuits would shed lint, overloading the pool's filtration system. It just didn't make sense to us, said the male student correspondent. We never really got a really adequate response. It also seemed a double standard, writes the Washington Post columnist. The teachers wore swimsuits, and the female students wore bathing suits that were presumably as linty as anything men might wear. The uh, student alumnus correspondent writes to the columnist, I remember mentioning it to my dad. Hey, Pop, I'm taking swimming in P.E. and we all swim nude. He said that was not unusual for male swimming facilities. My dad was born in 1919. It apparently was not an uncommon practice, says the columnist. That's correct. In 1926, the American Public Health Association issued recommendations for the design, construction, and operation of public swimming pools along with information on dimensions, filtration, and emergency equipment, the document advised, quote, at indoor pools used exclusively by men, nude bathing should be required. At indoor pools used exclusively by women, bathing suits should be of the simplest type, unquote. No reason was given for the recommendation, writes the Post columnist. It appears to have been hygiene-related. There are seven paragraphs in the advisory on bathing suits and towels and how the pool, not the swimmers, should provide them and launder them. Patrons apparently couldn't be trusted to keep their equipment clean. Pools around the country, including those operated by the YMCA, boys clubs, and schools and colleges, followed the lead of the American Public Health Association. There was some controversy in 1961. Parents in Menasha, Wisconsin, not Kenosha, Menasha, complained about the nude swimming mandate at the high school pool. School officials defended the practice, saying, among other things, that it was good experience for the military. Quote, where the disregard for privacy is real and serious, unquote. In 1967, school officials in Janesville, Wisconsin, gave the Lint explanation when parents wondered why boys' junior high classes were still conducted in the nude. The uh, Public Health Association had eliminated the nude swimming suggestion in 1962, but the practice continued in some places until the early 1970s. I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. Bobinetta is still doing it somewhere with some group of high schoolers. Of course, now it's obvious that uh, having boys swimming nude in high school was not some fanciful hang-up of Mr. Bobinette's. Although making us dive from the 10-meter board certainly was. Hello, welcome to the show. 
From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer. Right here, fully clothed, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, news of our friend the Atom. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, safe, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Just when you think it's too safe to meet her, Japan's Nuclear Regulation Authority has ordered TEPCO, the Tokyo Electric Power Company, they run or ran the uh, Fuk plant, uh, they ordered TEPCO to urgently assess the risks of a possible collapse at Unit 1 of the crippled Fuk plant and to formulate emergency measures as soon as possible to avoid any radioactive leakage. Now they say, now they say that. Videos taken during a robotic probe a couple months ago showed that the pedestal of Unit 1's containment vessel, the main supporting structure directly under its core, was severely damaged. The underwater robot found the concrete wall was missing in over half of the pedestal, measuring five meters in internal diameter, leaving the reinforcing bar exposed. Based on TEPCO's survey results, experts have said that severe damage to the base will inevitably affect the load-bearing performance. If the base tilts and the pressure vessel falls in the event of another major earthquake, the consequences would be serious. Newspaper Sankei Shimbun reported that if the reactor pressure vessel fails or falls or fails or falls, it could also damage various pipes connected to the vessel, resulting in the leakage of radioactive materials from the pipes. In a worst-case scenario, some falling materials could combine with the melted nuclear fuel accumulated at the bottom leading to re-criticality. Based on this possibility of significant risks, the regulator has urged TEPCO to assess the risks from the pedestal damage and formulate measures as soon as possible. Unit 1 suffered a hydrogen explosion in 2011 during the Fouke accident. That blew off the roof and walls of the building housing the reactor, TEPCO originally planned to cover the entire unit with a containment this year to prevent the leakage of radioactive materials during the construction process, such as removing nuclear fuel from the fuel pool. Don't be a fool. However, due to the high radiation level, waste disposal, such as pipelines around the plant, progress was slow. TEPCO has said that although the concrete exterior is mostly missing, the steel reinforcement remains intact and there's little safety risk. If the pedestal fails, its surrounding structures could prevent the reactor from collapsing. However, the regulator is concerned that if the pressure vessel falls, it could tear the pipeline. It's a matter of the utmost urgency to clean up the waste, says nuclear Energy, Engineering International magazine. The uh, waste is uh, involved in radi high radiation pipelines. 
that affect the construction of the containment, but TEPCO says its contractor is responsible for the slow construction, according to Tokyo Shimbun newspaper. TEPCO has no time to waste in confronting the issue. It must swiftly assess the damage and take effective action to prevent an accident or leak of radioactive materials, says the newspaper. TEPCO argues the pedestal has managed to support the reactor vessel even though the plant has experienced strong earthquakes, although the possibility of the pressure vessel tilting or sinking cannot be ruled out. The company asserts the impact will be limited with no risk of radioactive material leaking to the outside, but the regulator said it couldn't decide whether the assumptions underlying TEPCO's risk assessment are accurate because the extent of damage and condition of the structural materials are not yet fully understood. This accident happened, you may recall, in 2011. The regulator said it would also be difficult to reinforce the pedestal because of high radiation levels inside the containment vessel. So the NRA called on the utility to evaluate the impact of a possible release of radioactive material into the environment, that's us, and consider steps to deal with such an emergency. Never too late to be dangerous. And Deadline Washington, former U.S. State Department and regulatory officials, nuclear regulatory officials, this week urged the U.S. Energy Department to reconsider a plan to use bomb-grade uranium in a nuclear power experiment. The uh, officials say its use could encourage such tests in other countries. And, you know, since they're not us, that wouldn't be good. The Energy Department and two companies aim to share costs on the molten chloride reactor experiment, your MCRE, at the Idaho National Laboratory, and to use more than 1,300 pounds of fuel containing 93% enriched uranium. That's the level that would make us go to war with Iran if they enriched their uranium to that level. A company backed by Bill Gates, TerraPower, as well as the Southern Company Utility and the Energy Department, hope the six-month experiment will lead to breakthroughs in reactors that could help reduce pollution linked to climate change. But a group of former Nuclear Regulatory Commission members, including the former chairman and U.S. Assistant Secretaries of State responsible for nonproliferation, said MCRE, this project, could give other countries an excuse to enrich uranium to bomb-grade level in pursuit of new reactors. Quote, the damage to national security could exceed any potential benefit from this highly speculative energy technology, according to the experts in a letter to Energy Department officials. They fear an increase in such experiments boosts risks that militants looking to create a nuclear weapon could get hold of the uranium. Quote, it's shocking that the Energy Department, without even notifying the public, would undermine a decades-old bipartisan U.S. policy to prevent the spread of nuclear weapons. Unquote, Alan Cooperman, a professor at the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas, he organized the letter. The design of the experiment could be converted to run on low-enriched uranium, 
That incurs a delay and boosts some costs, but other costs could be saved on security. The Energy Department says highly enriched uranium is needed to keep the size of the experimental reactor small. If uh, only 20% pure uranium was used, the reactor core would need to be about three times taller, three times wider, and contain 40 times the volume of fuel salt, said the Energy Department. Once the experiment is over, the reactor would be deactivated and removed, it said. A spokesman for uh, Gates's company, TerraPower, said the experiment would be conducted at a secure facility already handling bomb-grade uranium. There will never be a commercial product from TerraPower that runs on highly enriched uranium, the spokesperson said. Clean, cheap, too enriched to meter, our friend the atom. In the new BMW 5 Series sedan, unveiled about a week ago, drivers will be able to change lanes on the highway just by looking to the side. The car's optional highway assistance system allows drivers to go long distances on major highways without touching the steering wheel or pedals. That sort of feature is now offered by a number of major automakers. BMW adds this novel capability. Drivers can change lanes just by looking at one of the outside mirrors. Automated lane changes are possible in many systems, but ordinarily the driver has to request it or assent to the car's suggestion for lane change by using the turn signal. With this new system, the car's automated driving system suggests a lane change. The driver, the driver only has to look at the corresponding side mirror. The car will do the rest. System relies on a camera mounted behind the steering wheel to monitor the direction of the driver's gaze. Better be careful with your gaze. AI may be progressing rapidly, says the British tech journal The Register, but it appears Google still hasn't quite fixed an eight-year problem with its image recognition system identifying pictures of gorillas accurately. The company was criticized when a software developer, Jackie Alcine, found the image recognition system deployed in its Photos app in 2015 had mistakenly labeled a photo of him and his friend as gorillas. They're both black humans. Horrified, Google swiftly covered up the racist error by blocking the software's ability to label images of gorillas. Eight years later, the flaw still hasn't been fixed properly. An experiment conducted by the New York Times found that users could search their photos by different types of animals, like cats and kangaroos, but not for gorillas, baboons, chimpanzees, orangutans, and monkeys. The Photos app still steers clear of labeling images of primates. It's not clear whether the company is unable to fix the issue or if the feature is too controversial 
to deploy. Apple's photo app and Microsoft's OneDrive storage app had the same glitch too. Amazon Photos tended to mistaken label, mistakenly label other types of animals as gorillas. Al Seen said he was disappointed Google has not fixed the problem. Quote, I'm going to have forever have no faith in this AI, he said. One of the so-called godfathers of artificial intelligence has said he would have prioritized safety over usefulness had he realized the pace at which it would evolve. Professor Yashua Bengio told the BBC he felt lost over his life's work. His comments come after experts in AI said it could lead to the extinction of humanity. You, you heard about that uh, statement last week. He has joined calls for AI regulation, said he didn't think military should be granted AI powers. <laughs> Who's going to stop him? He's the second of the so-called three godfathers of AI to voice concerns about the direction and speed at which it's developing. Some fear that advanced computational ability could be used for harmful purposes, such as the development of deadly new chemical weapons. He's told the BBC, as Professor Bengio, he's concerned about bad actors getting hold of AI. I'm, I'm concerned about them getting hold of scripts. It might be military, it might be terrorists, it might be somebody very angry, psychotic, and so if it's easy to program these AI systems to ask them to do something very bad, this could be very dangerous, says Professor Bengio. If they're smarter than us, then it's hard for us to stop these systems or to prevent damage, unquote. He said these concerns were taking a personal toll on him as his life's work, which had given him direction and a sense of identity, was no longer clear to him. It's challenging, emotionally speaking, for people who are inside the AR sector, he said. You have to keep going. You have to engage, discuss, encourage to think with you, he said. He's a Canadian. No, I just thought you should know. Fellow godfather Dr. Jeffrey Hinton has also signed the same warning, says Professor Professor Bengio, he retired from Google recently, saying he regretted his work. And America's Federal Trade Commission has made Amazon a case study for every cautionary tale about how sloppily designed Internet of Things devices represent a risk to privacy and made the cost of those actions, as alleged, $30.8 million dollars. This from the British Tech Journal to register. The regulator this week charged two Amazon outfits with various privacy snafus. Ring Home Security Cam subsidiary was accused of, quote, compromising its customers' privacy by allowing any employee or contractor to access consumers' private videos and by failing to implement basic privacy and security protections, enabling hackers to take control of consumers' accounts, cameras, and videos, unquote. The uh, accusation from the FTC. It continues, not only could every Ring employee and Ukraine-based third-party contractor 
Uh, explains why we're helping Ukraine, doesn't it? Access every customer's videos, all of which were stored unencrypted on Ring's network. They could also readily download any customer's videos and then view, share, or disclose those videos at will, says the FTC. The document goes on to describe how a customer service agent might need access to the video data of a particular customer to troubleshoot a problem, but that same customer service agent had unfettered access to videos belonging to thousands of customers who never contacted customer service. Also, quote, although an engineer working on Ring's floodlight camera might need access to some video data from outdoor devices, that engineer had unrestricted access to footage of the inside of customers' bedrooms, unquote. Ring staff weren't trained on how to handle private data, and some abused it horribly, according to the customer watchdog. The complaint details one employee who, according to the FTC, quote, viewed thousands of video recordings belonging to at least 81 unique fam- female users and focused his prurient searches on cameras with names indicating that they surveilled an intimate space, such as master bedroom, master bathroom, or spy cam. The employees spend more than an hour a day on this stuff, undetected by Ring for months. When a female co-worker reported this activity, her supervisor discounted the report, telling the female employee that it's normal for an engineer to view so many accounts according to the FTC. Only after the supervisor noticed that the male employee was only viewing videos of pretty girls did the supervisor escalate the report of misconduct. Ring uh, responded to that 2017 incident by restricting some access to videos for customer service staff, but other employees retained access to videos. The FTC complaint also alleges Ring knew its cloud services were susceptible to credential stuffing and brute force attacks, but did little to stymie such efforts. Ring's 55,000 U.S.-based customer accounts were therefore compromised, meaning, quote, bad actors gained access to hundreds of thousands of videos of the personal spaces of customers' homes, unquote the FTC. I don't know. I've been in show business all my life. I never liked bad actors. The miscreants also had access to users' accounts, which is where things got worse because Ring devices provide real-time messaging and communications. Those breaking into people's accounts thus were able to interact with customers via their Ring devices. Quote, several women lying in bed heard hackers curse at them. The complaint states... And, quote, several children were the objects of hackers' racist slurs, unquote. On another occasion, quote, a hacker told an individual through her camera that the hacker had killed the individual's mother and then directly threatened the individual, quote, tonight you die. The complaint points out that customers were warned that Ring gave itself extensive rights to access their videos in its terms of service and privacy policy, but criticizes 
those documents as being, quote, a buried half-explanation that gave people no reasonable way of knowing that hundreds of Ring employees and third-party contractors had unfettered access to live streams and stored videos, unquote. According to the FCC, Ring's main marketing message was that its products improved safety, yet its actions meant its products did the opposite. FTC, while it was at it, also um, got after Amazon over its Alexa data retention policies. Amazon retained children's recordings indefinitely unless a parent requested that this information be deleted, according to the FTC. And even when a parent sought to delete that information, Amazon failed to delete transcripts of what kids said from its databases. Amazon argued the re data retention was necessary to, among other, th other things, train Alexa's underlying AI models to improve its recognition of children's voices. But the U.S. Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, that's a law, requires parents to be informed of how data about kids under 13 is used and such data is to be expunged if it is no longer needed to provide the service. FTC proposes ring cough up $5.8 million to settle that matter, and Amazon has also agreed to pay $25 million to uh, settle the Alexa and kids-related allegations. These settlements, says Amazon, put these matters behind us. Amazon's re last reported quarterly results, net income of $3.2 billion. Your world can't get smarter than that. And uh, you may have noticed, ladies and gentlemen, that the, um, the Republican presidential primary field keeps expanding. More competition for Donald Trump and for each other. Um, still the highest-rated competition for the ex-president is uh, has been going down in the polls in the last few months that's um governor florida governor ron DeSantis, who's been making trips to uh, iowa and new hampshire as if they meant something in the presidential primary race i don't know he must know something um but he's involved in the wackiest possible controversy at the moment not necessarily of his own making although you could argue that uh, it did originate from him the controversy is how over how to pronounce his last name apparently within the past year he's altered the pronunciation from DeSantis to DeSantis. You say potato, I say potato. You say potato, and I say potato, potato. You say either, and I say either. You say neither, and I say neither, either, either, 
Our romance is growing flat For you like this and the other While I go for this and that Goodness knows what the end will be Oh, I don't know where I'm at It looks as if we two will never be one Something must be done Safety regulators have opened an, another investigation into problems with Teslas. Complaints that the seat belts may not hold people in a crash. The investigation by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration covers an estimated 50,000 Model X SUVs, 22 and 23 model years. Agency has two complaints from Tesla owners that the front belts weren't sufficiently connected at the factory. Both complaints allege that the linkage and pretensioners, I said pretensioners, separated from the frames when the vehicles were driving and force was exerted. Neither involved a crash. It's uh, looking into Tesla's manufacturing processes, how often the problem happens and how widespread it is. Investigations can lead to recalls. There was a message left 
from the Associated Press seeking a comment from Tesla. Usually that results in a poop emoji being res the re only response. The uh, National Highway Tra Tra Traffic Safety Administration is also investigating complaints about problems with Tesla's dating back to 2020. That includes Teslas with partially automated driving systems that can brake for no reason or can run into emergency vehicles parked on highways. I think that's a no-no. There are also investigations into complaints. Some steering wheels can suddenly disconnect and that suspension parts can fail. Yeah, but he's busy with Twitter. Oh, speaking of which, Twitter's value continues to decline. Fidelity reports... Its stake in Twitter has lost value for the third time since Elon took over last October. By Fidelity's account, the company is now worth just a third of the $44 billion Elon Musk paid for it. Twitter is now officially the reverse NVIDIA. And now, speaking of sorry, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Pacific Life, a giant insurance and financial services company, has informed a Boston-area couple it will stop efforts to claw back $3,400 in pension benefits. Quote, you will no longer be receiving any letters requesting a return of overpayment, as there was no overpayment, said the letter, which the couple received last week. Quote, please accept our apology for the errors made by our service center, as this is not the level of service we expect of ourselves, unquote the letter. Beginning in March, Pacific Life had sent a disconcerting series of letters to the couple, saying the company had recently discovered it had mistakenly continued to pay a $280 a month pension to Lori's mother for a year after her death, when the pension should have been terminated upon the death. Please make reimbursement payable to Pacific Life in the amount of $3,453.84, had said the letter, but the company's internal records were wrong. It had recorded the death of Lori's mother as one year earlier than her actual date of death. These things can happen. The couple had repeatedly attempted to straighten out the matter. They even sent copies of the death certificate to the company. They made numerous calls to Pacific Life, but the letters still kept coming. This, according to the Boston Globe, which did a column in its business section last month in which Pacific Life said it would conduct an investigation into the matter. That investigation apparently led to last week's apology for, quote, the multiple errors we made in our records and the confusion we caused, unquote. Toronto Blue Jays reliever Anthony Bass issued a public apology one day after sharing a video on social media that endorses anti-LGBTQIA plus boycotts. So that's, that's close to the half of the alphabet right there. Bass shared a video on his Instagram stories that called for viewers to boycott Target and Bud Light because of these companies' recent promotion of pride campaigns. Bass has since removed the video from his social media accounts. He made a brief statement Tuesday but did not take questions 
from reporters. Quote, I recognize yesterday I made a post that was hurtful to the Pride community, which includes friends of mine and close family members of mine. I'm truly sorry for that, Bass said. I just spoke with my teammates and shared with them my actions yesterday. I apologized with them. And of right, as of right now, I'm using the Blue Jays' resources to better educate myself to make better decisions moving forward. The ballpark is for everybody. We include all fans at the ballpark. We want to welcome everybody. That's all I have to say, unquote. Manager John Schneider said Bass apologized to him and the uh, team general manager when he arrived at the ballpark on Tuesday. Schneider said the Blue Jays did not discuss disciplining Bass. Deadline Miami, an armed man who confronted a group of black teenagers during a housing inequality protest back in 2019, has accepted a plea deal with the approval of the state attorney's office and the victims he yelled racial slurs to four years ago. The incident was on MLK Day in 2019. Cell phone videos show Mark Bartlett walking up to a group of black protesters with a handgun at his side and yelling racial slurs. Mr. Bartlett is here today taking responsibility for his racist and deplorable conduct. The victims appreciate that. Hopefully you really understand how terrible your conduct was and you're sincere about what you did, said an attorney representing the victims. Bartlett will have to take anger management classes, do 300 hours of community service, and participate in a racial sensitivity course with an organization like the NAACP. To be honest, I'm not really happy, said one of the victims. It should have been all the way, no remorse, because if it were the other way around, they would have put it on us. But it is what it is. He got some sort of punishment, unquote, one of the victims. Tesla Auto Wiper has been the source of frustration for many owners who reported that they usually start the wipers when it's sunny and remain off when it's raining. In reply to a complaining customer, guess who? Elon Musk apologized, but offered no hope that the issues would soon be resolved. Windshield wipers have been working as advertised on billions of vehicles except for Tesla's. The seemingly simple technology was thought to be bulletproof until Tesla proved otherwise. The problem stem, stems from the company's implementation of automatic wipers, differs from other car makers. Most cars use, use ultrasonic or optic sensors to register raindrops falling on the windshield. Tesla uses a picture of B.J. Thomas to sense the raindrops. No, it believes it can do better with its uh, autopilot cameras. The problem is the cameras are prone to optical illusions, which inadvertently trigger the wipers to start at full speed on a dry windshield, unlike specialized sensors. Oftentimes, especially in misty weather, the same cameras might fail to start the wipers, something the Tesla owners have complained about for years. Not me. I complain about other stuff. Tesla offers a manual setting, but engaging autopilot switches the auto wipers to the automatic setting. 
Many Tesla owners reported they avoid using autopilot when it's raining for this reason. I think there are others, other good reasons for not using autopilot when it rains. He promised in 2019 that deep learning would solve this problem once the auto wipers switch to neural networks. He even said Tesla would trademark the deep rain name for this feature, but it appears to have been shelved with the latest release of self-driving, fully self-driving beta. Deadline Manitoba, Canada, Premier Heather Stephenson formally apologized in the legislature this week to formal residents of the Manitoba Development Center, one of the country's last large institutional facilities for people with intellectual disabilities. Her apology, a part of a $17 million Canadian class action settlement earlier this year, focused on abuse and neglect suffered by residents of the developmental center. It also touched on the larger issue of housing people in large institutions instead of in the community with personal supports. Quote, we're sorry for our province's history of forcing children and adults into an institutional model of care for the resulting loss of family culture and the right to be a valued member of a community. She told the legislative chamber. For Oath Keepers, convicted of seditious conspiracy in a second trial following the conviction of leader Stuart Rhodes, were uh, sentenced to between three and four and a half years in prison this week, far less than the 10 to 17-year terms sought by the government prosecution. Chiropractor Joseph Hackett donned military gear and joined the line of Oath Keepers on January 6th who moved up the steps into the Capitol and stood outside Nancy Pelosi's office. Prosecutors asked for a 12-year prison sentence. I regret being there that day, Hackett told the judge. I regret ever joining the Oath Keepers when I heard police officers and others testify about how scared they were, how terrified their families were. It broke my heart. I apologize to the police officers on duty that day. The judge sentenced Hackett to 42 months. And the National Genealogical Society, one of the country's most prominent organizations for documenting family ancestry, has issued a formal apology in a report on, quote, racist and discriminatory actions and decisions the society made over the past century. Move was several years in the making, according to the society's president. Following the murder of George Floyd in 2020, the society knew it needed to examine its history and reckon with whatever it found. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Gentlemen, as if France didn't have its hands full 
sufficiently with the Olympics. They're now taking on influencers as well. Influencers in France can now fail, face jail time if they break new promotion regulations adopted this week into law. They restrict the promotion of lottery and betting games, ban the advertisement of items such as tobacco. First time the role of influencer has been legally defined in Europe. It was uh, unanimously approved in the Senate. French lawmakers said that faced with an increase in the number of people being scanned online, they had to clarify the contours of commercial activity and specify the responsibilities and obligations of influencers. Actors of commercial influence will not be able to advertise lottery or gambling games. The promotion of cosmetic surgery and some financial products and medical devices will also be forbidden. Punishment, up to two years in prison or a fine of up to $322,000. Concerns about whether that can be enforced if the influencer is outside France. That's it for this week's edition of the show. Back then next week at the same time on these same radio stations and on your audio device of choice. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for your help with today's program. The email address of this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts and the playlist of the music heard here on and so much more at harryshear.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long. From the Crescent City.